Good afternoon, and welcome to Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet. Today's show features an interview I did with jazz guitarist Steve Cardenas. He's been on the show a couple times, and he has a great new album out called Blue Has a Range, and we're going to feature that. And um, I want to thank my sponsors for the show here on WRFR Community Radio, the Dowling Walsh Gallery and Curator in Rockland and Rockport Automotive in Rockport. And um, today's show is just the interview interspersed with music. And if you want to find a set list, you can go to jazzcloset.blogspot.com. The show is pre-recorded, but you have questions or comments, you can check out the Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet Facebook page. Enjoy the show. It's a really great album. Um, Steve Cardenas was instrumental in helping me put together Palmodian songbooks and uh, lots of other stuff with his archive. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy this album. I really love it. I like your name, the name of that new album, Blue Has a Range. uh... Oh, thanks. That actually, I can, we can thank Monica for that because um, she and I, I wish I could remember more specifically. So she does knitting. I think she was knitting something. And we were talking, I might've made a comment cause it was a color that to me looked, it was blue, but it had, it's kind of, it started to go into that zone of like, is it green? Is it blue? Is, you know? And I said, it looks kind of green. And then her reply was, it's, well, she goes, it's blue. Blue has a range, you know? And I, and I just kind of went, oh yeah, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> and so whenever I hear something that sounds like a potential song title, I'll, I'll, you know, put it on a list. I have a tune on there called Reflector and that I was considering that, but I thought, you know, there isn't a name like Reflector. It's, it's a cool album title too, but it's also the sort of thing where there could be other, so many other things with that name, you know? And I thought with Blue Has a Range, like there's no one has anything, a book or anything yeah. that's called Blue Has a Range, you know? So if somebody looks it up, that's the first thing that's gonna come up. Thank you. 
Yeah. When was this recorded? A year ago, yeah. It was recorded a year ago. So did you do the mixing and stuff for it yourself? Well, actually, um, Ben Allison, who plays yep. bass, uh, mixed it. He did the he did the he did an incredible job too. Um, he's he's done a couple of his own records, something he started a few years back, and uh, he you know I play in his band have for a long time, and he knows my guitar sounds so well, and I just like the you know he, he gets the instruments to sound really yeah lush and beautiful yeah the, i i think i thought the sound quality and the engineering and everything is just really beautiful it's yeah yeah we we recorded it at this studio called the bunker which is a really nice uh -huh. great place in brooklyn um and uh, they have uh they have beautiful old neve board they get great sound so so for ben you know mixing it he, he was already working with a lot of uh, yeah. elements that already were in a good yeah, place. Yeah, and um, I really like the, um, mm. I don't know if I've heard, you haven't had a piano in your, your own group before, right? Right, yeah. Right. I've, this is the first time I've recorded my own music. Uh -huh. or my, you and know, you my wrote all of the piano. songs. You composed all of them? Yeah. I did. It, it's It's been a while since I've done a record that's been all original, but... But when I, you know, I start, I usually think about doing a record about a year ahead of time. And I knew, I knew that I wanted to have John Coward play piano. Um, it just kind of, it, it, I don't know what, you know, it just was one of those things like, yeah, I needed, I'd like to do a record with John and piano. Cause I've been playing his band too, uh -huh. the Mercy, his Mercy Project. And, um, uh, and then, you know, Ben, I, I, Ben is he's just kind of we're like each other's right hand man you know in many respects and uh and then Brian I played a lot with in John's Mercy Project and Patatucci so I just it just became apparent to me that that was going to be a really good band chemistry and then the tunes started to kind of spill out yeah you know, so you knew I who was going to play before you wrote compositions yeah 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 I mean although I mean, I had made the plan to record, but it, I never count on the fact that I'm going to write any tunes, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I can't really force it. So I, I just thought, well, maybe, maybe I'll do a, a few older tunes of mine. I, there's a couple that I had written over the past previous years that I hadn't recorded, so I could include those. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do one of Ben's to, you know, I was trying to look at it from a realistic point of view of, well, if I don't write anything, I could assemble this kind of, you know, list. And then, but what happened was it just, it was, this happens with me where they come out in kind of groups. Paul, Paul even talked to me, like with him, the same yeah. thing would, would happen sometimes where, because when we did Garden of Eden, he just, he wrote a bunch uh -huh. of tunes for the, the session, you know. So um, that's what happened. My five new tunes came out over a period of about yeah. you know, three or four and months. So and, um, do you write
do you play the guitar while you write or do you, yeah is that is that is that your approach yeah, yeah. usually yeah that's mm -hmm. i mean i don't really play piano and um i i mean i i i don't really see myself as a composer's composer like somebody that would identify as a composer like i'm I'm a musician and guitar player that okay. writes tunes as well. <laughs> That's sort of like, you know, and, um, and, you know, I don't, they're not complex long forms, but, but I also yeah. love to do it. So it's that, that sort of things. Um, I mean, Steve Swallow, I look at him as almost straddling the line, you know, he's a great bass player, great composer, but he's not only known for his, composition he you know his bass playing is definitely yeah uh, something that is you know very prevalent and out there but um but he you know mm -hmm. carla is you know carla is known you know is incredible great incredibly great composer so so when i th when i think of those two i think well steve steve writes he writes more kind of jazz mm -hmm. tune form most of the time and carla We'll write some tunes like that, but then she'll write these expansive, you know, <laughs> like yeah, mini symphonies really or something, good. you know. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I don't even know well, why I was asking I you about your approach other to, than <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. But yeah, guitar. I mean, it's just the guitar, as Andre Segovia said, it's like a mini orchestra. So there, yeah. there's things that come up pretty readily and you can and then you can record a little part and then play along with that you know and start to kind of uh -huh. build layers yeah. if you need to and then blue language that that i wrote a maybe three years ago or so and that that was just like a one of those things where i just kind of wrote it and i thought oh wow that sounds kind of like a new orleans sort of hoagie carmichael kind of wacky you know <laughs> whatever and then yeah. i just kind of shelved it you know, because I didn't really have any thing, and and I wasn't even sure about it. I, you know, it's one. Sometimes you write a tune, you go, eh, I don't know if it's up to snuff or whatever. And I think everybody yeah. that writes tunes does that, you know. But, but I kept it around, and so when I so when I was write, writing the new music last year, I I thought, you know that tune might have something to it and I, I found it and pulled it out and I ended up adding a couple like just kind of tweaking a few things about it and then I and then I realized wow this is kind of the perfect there's no other tune like this on here so yeah this would be a really nice addition it's kind of a drunken yeah. New Orleans tune you know <laughs>
Thank you. 
You're so adept at the technical side of music, or I think of you that way. I don't know, you know, because of the way you helped with the compositions and, you know, like so precise and. <laughs> well, I, yeah, 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 yeah. How would I self-analyze? <laughs> Asking the that? tough question. <laughs> it's funny because there's a side of me that is, yeah. I do get into the details. You know, because when it comes to, um, especially when, you know, working with Paul's music, but you had all of his charts, but we were doing some comparing, you know, different versions. So that actually was easier to do than say, we're trying to uh, decipher some of Monk's music because there were some charts, but not, but only like uh -huh. you know, yeah. a fifth. <laughs> actually like a seventh <laughs> of it. And so everything else, you know, you have to really get inside of it and listen, compare versions, mm -hmm. check with someone else, you know, it gets, it gets into a quite a project. So, and I, but I enjoy, I've enjoyed that sort of thing. It's yeah. not something I like to do all the time or anything, but I, but though, you, you know, working on the Monk book and working on Paul's uh -huh. book, that, that was enough for me, you know. <laughs> But I've done, I've transcribed a bunch of Keith Jarrett tunes and some Ornette stuff. And I just enjoy kind of learning these songs, but learning them what I, the way the composer did, instead of just trusting uh -huh. some fake book, because they're yeah. almost always kind of wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, but so that's, that would be my technical side, I guess. But then there's this whole other side of me that just likes to, when I, pl you know, play, there's a looseness and a, I like things to be really spontaneous and. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like whatnot. you, um, sometimes <laughs> you're really organized and then sometimes you're more free and improvising. Yeah. But you know. Oh yeah. Paul was a lot yeah. like that. Like, yeah. He was kind of the epitome of that, you know, like great, great improviser in the moment, 
but then he was very yeah. meticulous about yeah the way he went you know. back and wrote in like yeah. on old compositions like this became that mm -hmm. song or that became you know and in his notebooks he went back and made yeah, notes yeah. later about stuff like yeah, he was very meticulous yeah. uh-huh yeah he he uh, i remember it's funny what like what you're saying about some of the things he wrote because i remember when I, so I did that first tour with him and then at the end of the tour he's that was like end of October of nine wait a minute like middle of sorry middle of November beginning of November of 97 and when I came back I had to go on the road with Madeline Peru for a couple of weeks but at the end of Paul's tour he said hey man Birdland just gave us a, like a few nights do you can you do it and I was like, ah, I can't, you know? And he was like, oh, okay, man. Well, I'll just call up Wolfgang, you know, cause Wolfgang uh -huh. is still living in, in New York. And um, so, so they did it, you know, they did it with Wolf. And then when I came back off the road, cause Puck, another thing to this story is that at the end of that first tour, Paul said, hey, yeah, I'm thinking of doing another record next year. Would you like to be on it? And I'm like, of course, you know? So when I came back from Madeline's tour, I checked in with Paul and, and, he, and I said, well, how's it going? He says, yeah, you know, we played at Birdland and you know, they recorded it um, on their board and I've been listening to it and it sounds really good. And I think, I, I'm sorry to say, man, but I think I might make it the next record, you know? Um, and, I, and I was like, well, you know, you don't have to apologize. You know, <laughs> I mean, I couldn't make it. And if you like, and if you like it, that's, that's great, you know. So I was kind of like, oh man, you know. But then like a couple weeks later, Paul calls and says, yeah, I'm listening to the, bird, the Birdland stuff. And I don't know if I really like it very much. I mean, some of it's really great. And I'm just listening to, then like another couple of weeks, he calls and says, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna put that <laughs> up, man. It's not very good, you know. <laughs> so, and then it's not that he was wishy-washy anything, he just, sometimes he would he would just kind of tell you yeah. what his first impression was and 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 then and then if you talk to him more you get the benefit of yeah. sort of hearing him go through his process you know when did how did you guys meet i think we talked about this before and i can't remember was that yeah was it through charlie me and paul um, the other way around well actually i mean that when i actually technically first met Paul in person. I, I had gone to Sweet Basil to hear the Electric Bebop band and Wolfgang was in, in the band at that time. And I knew, you know, Wolf, Wolfgang and I had become friends. And, um, and I had just been in New York, you know, like not even hardly a year. And then on the break, you know, Wolfgang came over and said hi. And he said, hey man, let me, let me introduce you to Paul. So he, t he walked me over to the the booth where the guys are hanging out on the break and he said hey Paul this is Steve and then in Wolfgang's generosity he goes hey man if oh, you ever need uh -huh. a sub for me this is the guy <laughs> you know? and 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 I was like oh man you know um, but thing is that was a very brief encounter and and I wouldn't have been surprised if Paul even remembered it but be, so that that was when was that it was probably like middle of 96 or so 
he called, he actually, I don't know. Anyway, he called me in the middle or at the end of 96 and I was out of town to just play a one-off at the knitting factory. And then, and of course I, I heard from my roommate at the time, Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, you know, I just, I was, I, I felt like, Oh, that's it. That was yeah. my opportunity. It's not, not going to happen. But then when I was on the road with Madeline, the summer of 97, I gave my roommate, I, my itinerary said, if, if anybody <laughs> like Paul motion calls, just, to, you know, you can give them my, uh -huh. and Paul <laughs> called me in Norway, <laughs> left a message and then I called him back. But, um, uh, and that's when he asked me if I could do that fall tour. But, but he told me that Pat uh -huh. Matheny had mentioned me to him at that time. And Pat was somebody that I had just gotten to know because we were both yeah. from the Kansas city area. And, he was, he was long gone when I was coming up and playing, but when he would come back to visit his folks, sometimes he would pop in at a gig and scare the life out of me, you know, <laughs> and, but he was always really supportive and encouraging. The Garden of Eden, that's 2006. And that, yeah, that's with Tony Malaby. And, yeah. And you, three guitars. That's with yeah. Tony and, and that, yeah, well, this was one. Of, this was one of those things where Paul, Ben Monder, he had asked Ben Monder and me to do it, because um, Paul felt a little bad about asking Jakob to come to New York, because then, because he couldn't afford to just buy a, you know, that plane ticket and then put him up for a week to play a week's worth of gig, you know, whatever, you know. But Jakob, you know, he's the sort of guy that would be like, oh, you don't have to do that. I'll pay my way, own way over. And, but then Paul also felt guilty about, you know, it's that sort of, yeah. you know, catch 22. <laughs> where everybody would be happy, but, you know. Anyway, so turned out that Ben could only do the first day of recording. And Jakob, and it also turned out that Jakob was going to be in town anyway, I think. That was the case. And so Paul found out, he called me up and he said, hey, um, Ben can't, can only do the first day. What do you think about having Jakob? I said, well, that, that's great. Cause you know, he played in the band. We've done a tour with him and you know, that's perfect. So then Paul calls me up the next day and says, hey man, I was thinking. I mean, if Jakob's already here, why don't we have him come the first day too and have three guitars? And yeah. I was like, oh, okay, why not? Because <laughs> yeah, he'd been wanting to really try that his, for a yeah. while. Yeah. And yeah, and and we were we were um, he had I think he mentioned it to us to to Ben and I. We I think we were maybe a little lukewarm about it because and and it and it didn't even have anything to do with Jakob just. Uh -huh. It could have been any third guitar, yeah. <laughs> just because that's a lot of guitars. <laughs> and and it, and even with three really different guitar players, you got to really that. Then you really have to think about how you're going to make things interesting and not sound this kind of uh -huh. be in the same sonic space so much and step on each other. Not, but actually, just because of Paul's music and the way he writes it. Once again, it was just kind of everything just fell yeah. into place without really having to talk about it. We just played, played and listened to each other. And 
That yeah, was a really you, fun when recording session. You're to Balada. Yeah. Do you have anything to say oh, about yeah. that? About that, that was an old, I'd written that mm -hmm. tune when I was about 21. And it just, one of those I'd filed away and just on a whim, I, I just kind of brought it in because I always thought it sort of sounded a little like a cross between an Ornette or Keith Jarrett tune. A very short form, very short melody, and then it just kind of opens up. And then, so Paul ended up liking it. And then he, I think he had the idea of us trading, kind of trading, so like we go around and trade, since it's a short form, you play eight bars, now you play eight bars, now, you know, and ha have kind of this kind of round uh -huh. robin with, with the solos. It was yeah. pretty, I liked it, I liked that. Yeah, I, I really like this album. It seems like it doesn't get that much attention, you know? You know, a lot of people have, uh, a lot of, a lot of people, <laughs> I'm starting to sound like, never mind. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people say, um, but um, <laughs> I've had various musicians contact me yeah. and say how much they like that record, just kind of kind of single that record out. And, and it, it does have a, a vibe. I got to say it has, there's, there's a, there's a yeah. special vibe on that record, yeah. if I may say so. <laughs>
I was on my second mm -hmm. tour with Paul in the fall of 98, a Europe tour. And then we played in, and then we got, came back for a couple weeks. And that's when we went to China yeah. for five days, you know. And then when we came back is when we recorded that record. But when, but when we, uh, when we went, when we were in Europe was when he was starting to kind of think about what he, because I remember he said to me, he said, you know, I was thinking about doing another record of Monk's tunes because I like them so much. He goes, mm -hmm. but I already did that with the trio, the, the Monk and Motion. And I said, well, you know, how about like Bud, pa Bud Powell and Monk were best friends. How about oh, like Monk and Bud Powell tunes? And he goes, he goes, he goes, yeah, that's, that's cool. So um, I had a lot of, Mon you know, Monk's tunes transcribed already. So I was, this is before, you, I think this is before you could send something, email and scan, all that kind of stuff so easily. So we were, so I was calling my roommate back home and saying, could you fax this chart? Like it's, you had him get out my phone. Yeah. Can you fax this chart, this chart, this chart, you know? And then the other guys were, were going to uh, record stores in some of the towns we were in and getting Bud Powell, like, yeah. I don't know, tapes or CDs and, and, and transcribing some of those tunes just on the fly. So we really kind of pieced together you know, we tried out tunes and then kind of figured yeah. out which one seemed the strongest. And, and that's when yeah, we so kind, you of kind of used the tour the to figure out the album. Yeah, oh, that's, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than like yeah. touring after you make an album. Yeah. Yeah. Which is right. the way it usually happens, <laughs> I think. <laughs> that's with Paul. With Paul, yeah. it can happen <laughs> in all sorts of ways. <laughs>
Has it been um, with, you know, since the lockdown and not having um, touring, like, what do you think, what are you doing with your time that you would have been touring, do you think? Do you have? You know, it's funny because I think, I mean, I guess different things are happening for different people, but I find myself still yeah. really busy with stuff. <laughs> and, and I think part of that mm-hmm. is the fact that this new record has come out and but also um, the teaching, I, I actually started teaching with another um, uh, online guitar teaching, uh, you know, web-based guitar uh-huh. teaching company. <laughs> What's the right word? <laughs> but they're called, they're uh-huh. called Guitar Mastery Intensive. And, and um, they're really great folks. And they, one, one, of the, um, one of the people that started it, I had, I've known for years as a good friend and, and she just kind of sounded me out. Said, "Do you think you'd want to take on a few students in our program?" And and 
it was funny because it was at the beginning of the year and and I was already in the you know starting a semester at the new school and and I remember at the time I told her I said well I have kind of a lot of teaching already with the new school but let me think about it and I thought and she said and she came back and said if you just take why don't you just take two students and if you and if it's too much you know then we can just say no more after that and I took the two students and then uh-huh. bam the pandemic okay. hit <laughs> and then I realized oh um yeah I think I'm gonna need this <laughs> but the, the but the cool thing though was that I actually really enjoyed kind of they have a little different format from a lot of things they they the lessons are shorter but then you you're kind of mentoring your student where they send you little videos uh-huh. of them practicing material and you comment on this app so it 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 has a it's not just like you meet once a week and that's it, but you're, you're involved with them a little more on a, you know, in an exchange and, and it's nice. It, it, it feels fluid and loose in many ways. And, uh, and they're practicing the curriculum really hard that they have to work on with the program. So the lessons are really just like, we can go over some of the things they're practicing, but we can also do whatever we want. And, and so I told you know, at the time I said, you know, I, li- I like this and I'll take on more students. And yeah. all my touring just got canceled. So we heard from uh, three different albums. And they are Steve's new album, Blue Has a Range, on Sunnyside Records, released July 10th this year. Steve on guitar, John Coe heard on piano. Ben Allison on bass and Brian Blade on drums. We heard a cut from Paul Modian and the Electric Bebop Band play Monk and Powell. And that's with Kurt Rosenwinkel and Steve Cardenas on electric guitars, Chris Potter and Chris Cheek on saxophones, Steve Swallow on bass, Paul Modian on drums. And that's a Winter and Winter 1999 release. And then from ECM Records in 2006, we heard Garden of Eden with the Palmodian Band with Chris Cheek and Tony Malaby on saxophones, Steve Cardenas, Ben Monder, and Jakob Bro on guitars, Jerome Harris on bass, and Palmodian on drums. And stay tuned for more after the top of the hour here on WRFR Community Radio. Welcome back to the second hour of Uncle Paul's Jazz Closet here on Community Radio, WRFR Low Power, Rockland, Maine. And I want to thank my sponsors for this show, Rockport Automotive, Dowling Walsh Gallery, and The Curator. Um, I'm having a little trouble recording with my computer I hope my computer's, I'm worried it's close to its last days, <laughs> so uh, I hope not. But um, we, I forgot to tell you what songs we heard in the first hour, and um, we started out um, from the Blue Has a Range album, Blue Has a Range, and then Reflector, then Fern's Guitar, and Blue Language. And from the Garden of Eden, we heard Steve Cardenas' tune, Ballada. And from Play Monk and Powell, we heard Whale, Bud Powell's tune. So we're going to continue with more from the 
Zoom interview I did with Steve, and you can kind of tell that the sound quality on my end isn't as good, but he sounds good, so that's what matters, I guess. And uh, so stay tuned, and here is Steve talking about language of love. Do you have any favorites on here that that you think we should play? Well, um, it's like it's like yeah. it's like children. I love them all, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh geez okay but um <laughs> uh well actually um i mean I, w- I don't know if i would say favorites but i could just kind of quickly talk about a few of them in just in terms of kind of their history you know because some there's three of them that weren't written mm-hmm. last year that were written before so so language of love is the third track that one i wrote early 2000s like around 2000 and and when i first joined ben's i hadn't really played it with anybody and when i first joined ben ben's band in 2005 he uh he was writing some new music and and i thought well you know he doesn't necessarily have a full song maybe i'll just bring in something see if he likes it and i i thought oh this could work you know um we could try it you know and he ended up really liking it and the tune kind of grew from there and it became yeah and we recorded it on one of his records and and so um it became a tune that we played fairly regularly uh, you know when we would be out on the road and so but then when i got the idea for this record i thought man i would love to do another version of that with piano i did so that's why I, I redid that one. It's kind of you got a so? Burt yeah. Bacharach kind of feeling to it. Uh, a little bit, you know, it's, it's kind of like Burt Bacharach. <laughs> that's a good, Bob I like that description. <laughs> <laughs>
what how old were you when you started playing the guitar oh well yeah. i mean i i was 14 when i actually started and i took a few lessons and and i i wasn't really i was into it but i wasn't i wasn't getting excited like in the way like if i had somebody that was mentoring me or but i had this friend that lived on the other block um that took up the bass and he was like i want to start a band and i was like okay and i had an electric guitar that i could borrow from my sister's yeah. friend <laughs> one thing led to another my bass player friend taught me bar chords and get that's like certain that you need for you need if you're going to play power chords bar chords are kind of the dna of that you know so <laughs> but we've just kind of played top 40 and and uh then then i like a year later i started high school and i was uh in, i joined the jazz band and that was kind of when things started to kind of open up and uh, i was being challenged you know, musically before you know, the guitar try to I, yeah. I did. You were kind of a late starter, like yeah. <laughs> comparatively speaking. I mean, I was a late yeah. starter. I was, a, yeah, no, it's true. I was in. Uh, it was one of those things where I was in. I'd gone to Catholic school through eighth grade, and and then in eighth grade, I saw somebody. There was this group of kids playing, and it's it's just that classic moment when you're you know your kids are watching each other do stuff, and then I'm thinking I could do that. <laughs> That, that was the motivation. My sister had a guitar in the basement that was kind of abandoned and didn't have strings. So I asked my mom if we could put uh -huh. string, have strings put on it. And, and yeah. That's and it. Did you go to, you history. went to college? Did you go to Berkeley? Is that where you went? I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to, this is kind of the, an, an interesting part of my story is that I didn't go, a lot of musicians when they were, got to college age would go to a music school. I almost went to North Texas State. I actually sent a, an audition tape and everything. They accepted me, ended up not going because Kansas City at that time, late 70s and early 80s, the jazz scene was, has, was really active. And I was playing like sometimes seven nights a week. Sometimes I'd be playing like say six nights and then have a matinee gig that was five afternoons. So <laughs> I was playing all the time and I was playing with musicians better than me and older than me and more experienced. And, and I was also taking some, there's a kind of a town guru, John Elliott, who taught, he was a uh -huh. pianist, but he taught music theory. And I was also going to junior college and I went to UMKC for one year. So, but I just was getting so what I consider to be so much valuable yeah. experience just on the job in Kansas City that even though music school definitely would have benefited me on other levels, I just playing live that much, I couldn't see well, that that's it would the way really get much better. Everyone used to do it, you know. You did that for a while and then you moved to New York? Oh, well, uh -huh. actually moved to California first. Yeah, I lived in San Francisco for four years. Um, just kind of visiting some friends at a certain point and I realized, you know, I felt like it was time to to try 
playing music elsewhere. And, and I had been in New York a few times, but you know, when I visited San Francisco and these friends, it, it's really kind of hard to not be there and go, wow, this would be amazing to live here. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was, it was late eighties, mid, mid to late eighties. And I, I didn't even think I would stay as long as I did. I stayed four years. And then e even by another default, a friend, a great uh, trumpet player, composer, Jeff Beal had moved to LA to get more into composing. And he's very well known. Now he, he, uh, wrote the music for House of Cards and mm. that movie Pollock and various other things. But um, he was inviting me down to play gigs in LA. So just kind of by default, I was getting connected with musicians there and decided to sublet for a little while. And I ended up getting a place for a couple of years. And then a friend of mine, a drummer friend, Mike Hyman, who was living there was going to move back to New York and he just kind of sounded me out. I said, do you think you'd want, I need a roommate. You think you want to move to New York? And, uh -huh. I, and I just went, yes. <laughs> just because I knew that it was never going to happen unless, unless an opportunity that seemed kind of clear, yeah. you know, like that. And, and I also had just been in LA long enough. Things were going well. And I thought I could go do that for six months and not really lose my footing here, you know? So I did it for six months. Well, I think I'll stay longer yeah. before it, now it's 25 years later. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. was looking at your discography because yeah. <laughs> um, I was looking to see what I have, you know, gathering your stuff. And I have this uh, panoramic and um melody and oh yeah yeah you look really look how young you are <laughs> is that you <laughs> you look no. like you're 12. <laughs> look i look like i had my hair done in a salon <laughs> that was yeah i know I was, how old was i yeah uh tony malaby yeah. Larry grenadier and uh Kenny yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah Kenny Wallace and yeah, that Tony had mm -hmm. just joined Paul's band at that point. So we were, we were, we had gotten to know each other, you know, over the, a year or year and a half at that point. And I, and Tony is really kind of more known as being a free player, you know, playing more just free music, but he can kind of, mm -hmm. he can play anything he wants really. <laughs> it's just, that's what he loves to do. And, uh, so when I asked him, because I have a tendency to write things that are a little more form oriented and for lack of a better word, maybe just melody oriented, although that definition <laughs> has a range, <laughs> you know, but um, I thought, wow, Tony, I would love to hear him play some of my tunes, you know, and so he was into it. And he sounded amazing. And when we got done, he was like, man, thanks so much um, for having me on this record. He goes, this is great. I have something documented <laughs> with me playing over changes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so do you have funny. a cut on here that you like? The, on, yeah. On, on uh, Panoramic? Yeah. Do you want me to read you the titles? Um, well, well, there's a Sight. tune called Sights. Yeah. I think it's the second track. Okay. That sounds pretty nice. And then Melody in the Dream. 
That one has a couple 20, of Paul's oh, tunes on it. Oh, that's it. a much newer one, yeah. Oh, yeah, you got In the Year of the Dragon, Yeah. Once Around the Park. That's yeah. a nice version of Once Around the Park, I think, in particular. Thank you. 
do you have any other yeah. new things in the works or well the the charlie and paul record the guy at nouvelle elan uh elan mailer he approached me recently and he said that they've been talking about because they only do vinyl releases you know that was their thing and it's kind of like season you know you you subscribe to the season and you get these yeah. four or five albums and it's expensive you know it's kind mm -hmm. of like being part of a record club or something but he said that they he and and the owner of the company have been talking and they they thought that they might want to start releasing in digital versions of these records after they've run out their two year uh -huh. time period of being just vinyl only then release then release them as digital so he was he he was because i originally thought after the two years that i would approach sunnyside maybe about releasing it but with the new uh -huh. record i was going to give it a little while but so i told Elon, i said you know that's great you know i mean i that would be great i mean since you guys did it initially it it, it so i i'm still waiting yeah. to hear kind of what their final word is on um so do you have any um anything that any stories about paul that you think of <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, entertain gosh. our listeners <laughs> oh this is a. Uh, Oh, I don't know if I should tell this story. <laughs> now everybody's like, what, what? Now you have to. It's just a silly story, but okay, okay. I'll tell it. And you can decide if you want to air it. <laughs> okay, so, so uh, this was a, a, a previous girlfriend I had. It was in the middle 2000, like the middle aughts. And... Um, I had just joined Liberation Music Orchestra. We had done a tour and a record, and it was maybe like a year after that. It was like 2005 or so. And I had given, believe it or not, I didn't even have, a, I didn't have a cell phone yet. <laughs> so, so I, I think, I think uh, when we did this one gig in New York, I'd given Charlie, Ruth, Charlie's wife, my girlfriend's cell phone number. Uh -huh just as a contact, you know, it, you know, many months had passed and, and I was out, I was out with this girlfriend. We were out uh, spending a day, like a Saturday or whatever. And her phone rings and she's hello. And she, she goes, Oh, um, just a minute. She hands it to me and goes, it's for you. It's Charlie Hayden. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> And so I go, hey, Charlie, what's going on? <laughs> and he's like, hey, Steve, hey, man, have you talked to Motion? I've been trying to get a hold of him, man. He won't return my calls. And because Charlie knew that I, you know, was in moderate contact with Paul. So I think he saw me as kind of the touchstone, which I felt, you know, I, I felt ironic yeah. to me considering their history, <laughs> you know, but um I said, no, I, I said, well, I haven't spoke to him recently, but you know, I can check in on him and let you know. And so, um, so the next day I call up Paul and, you know, you know, sometimes he'll let a call go into his oh, yeah. answer machine oh, to screen it to see who it is. <laughs> you know? So he would do it. And I'm like, Hey Paul. And he picks it up. Hey, yeah, man. Yeah. Hey man, what's going on? Hey, what, Hey, what's happening? You know? 
And uh, I said, hey, Paul, um, Charlie called me yesterday and he says he's been trying to get a hold of you, but you won't uh, return his calls. And, and he said, oh, yeah, man, he, he just wants to tell me <laughs> some more of his dumb jokes. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I was in kind of somewhat disbelief. Just like, I said, well, Paul, you know, he's your buddy, man. You got to call him back. I mean. I mean, they're not so dumb that you're not going to laugh, right? <laughs> but that was so Paul, you know, like he was just kind of like playing games with them just, just because he knew Charlie would start to get yeah. kind of, you know, intense about it. You know? <laughs> Have you talked to Motion? <laughs> yeah. Those guys, you know, and, and here I, and I just felt kind of, kind of simultaneously honored and, yeah, like wait, kind of like <laughs> Yeah, like what, would you would you guys just talk to each other? <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny. <laughs> yeah, they definitely. Yeah. They had a long-term relationship, you know, that <laughs> kind of like brothers in some. In some way, I can tell. You know, it gets that uh, way. That oh yeah. Oh no. They. When I first joined Liberation, I remember talking to Paul and saying, hey, you know, I got in Liberation, you know. And, oh, that's great, man. You're going to love it, you know. And I said, yeah, they, I haven't got any music yet. I hope it's not too hard to read. And, and Paul says, oh, man, don't worry. Charlie's <laughs> reading sucks. But then he goes, but he's got great ears. And he was so right because, I, re you know, Carla did the arrangements and the first time we were all sight reading the music, Charlie was, was making mistakes all over the place. It was, and, and I was like, wow, Paul was right. <laughs> was right. <laughs> but the second time we yeah. did everything, he nailed it. It was like his ear, he just like zeroed yeah. in on what was happening with everything. You know? I mean, Paul, Paul told it yeah, exactly the way Yeah, I think some, some players are more, <laughs> they're all ear and then, other people mm -hmm. really need to see yeah. it visually written down or whatever. Yeah. Well, and you know, with liberation and there's, they're more arrangement oriented tunes. So there's these sections that go to here yeah. and there's all these kind of specific parts. So, I mean, we were, we were all, you know, you can't really call them mistakes <laughs> jazz, right? <laughs> yeah. We were learning, we were learning the music. <laughs>
recording with the um, Liberation Music Orchestra, Not In Our Name, is that the name? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and that was the band had been reformed. I think Charlie and Ruth, before they, because the band hadn't played out in a long time at that point. So I think they called everybody that had been, yeah. it, like Paul and Mick Goodrick and various other folks. And, um, but they both, Mick and Paul were like, no, nah, no, no, no. Neither of them were traveling anymore. They were, so, so it ended up being uh -huh. a thing where it was mostly new members. And Matt Wilson had told me about it. And I had coincidentally had done a semester of teaching at Cal Arts in LA in the spring of 2003, I was subbing for a good friend, Larry Kuntz, the great guitar player and teacher there. He was on sabbatical and he asked if I, if I wanted to sub for him. So I did that. And, um, and I, and then I think Paul had told Charlie that I was, they probably spoke and then Paul knew I was out there and he probably told Charlie, Hey, one of my guys is out there. I never did ask Charlie exactly how that came about, but I got a phone, just a random out of the blue phone call from Charlie about mid-semester, middle of March of that year, asking if I would play, would come up to the school and just play like five tunes with him for a little, just a very little concert mm -hmm. with administrators and trustees. And uh, I was kind of, you know, <laughs> uh, play duo with you? Yeah, I, I think I, I would like to do that, you know. <laughs> but... Yeah. So, and it was really nice it, and it was great to meet him and, you know, playing with him was amazing in that context. So when Liberation, Matt Wilson at the end of 2003 told me that Charlie was reforming Liberation, he goes, you should give him a call. And because Charlie had already asked Matt if he wanted to play drums. And, and I said, yeah, well, you know, I played with him. So I don't feel like it would be a call out of the blue. And so I called him up and and he answered, I said, hey, Charlie, it's Steve Cardenas. <laughs> Who? <laughs> um, you know, we played you tunes like. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what do you want? <laughs> oh, well, um, well, I ran into Matt Wilson and he said, you're reforming liberation. And I thought, well, if you need a guitar player. Oh, oh, yeah. OK, man. Well, yeah, well, I'll keep you in mind. <laughs> OK, bye. Click. You know? And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, forget it. You know, yeah. Yeah, it was worth a try, you know. But then three weeks later on my answer machine is, hey, Steve. Yeah, hey, man, this is Charlie Hayden. I want to see if you could do a tour and a, and a record this summer with a Liberation. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> he and Paul had a very similar kind of way of just like kind of throwing out this just direct amount of information on a, on a machine. And, and, and you're just kind of <laughs> like shocked by it and like oh yeah I guess I should call back and say yes yeah, they, you know they were a lot so, like, yeah. <laughs> people want to get the music um what are the options so uh -huh. the options are Bandcamp Amazon with Amazon and Bandcamp you can order CD a hard uh -huh. copy CD or do download uh -huh. iTunes you can download think those are the main the main I mean there might be some smaller kind yeah, of yeah I'll put a link to the band sites. camp page yeah because you get, you get more, a, good, a little more good, income good, through them right good. when you yeah. 
Well, there's that, and they just do good things. They've done they've done things where they've donated more towards musicians during this time, as well as they also uh, like connected some things with with Black Lives Matter, and they're just they're they're a very aware and conscious. Well, the so the, mm -hmm. so the band on Blue has a range is uh, is uh, Ben Allison mm -hmm. on bass, who also mixed the record, and Brian, and uh, John Coward on piano, which we spoke of, and then Brian Blade is playing drums. And actually, I think we actually did mention everyone at different junctures uh, in the beginning. Um, but those guys, they played so amazing on on that record. They the music just kind of came together. Yeah. Very much it's really its, it's really beautiful i yeah um, i really um oh thanks listened to it like the whole thing one you know the other night and uh yeah it really draws you in and it just i don't know is really calming in a lot of ways like which was really nice right now and all the tension craziness that's happening yeah, right, like i just right. i don't know i just felt like yeah. it was yeah it just made me feel good. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Um, That's great. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, it's going to be a big hit. <laughs> I hope, so. well, that would, that'd be cool. I mean, I, you know, with jazz records, you never yeah. really expect anything to be a hit per se, but if yeah, it, if it got a little interesting notice, to see if, cool. if like, cool. are people buying more music right now? Like, because, they have more time, you know, they have I know. Time home to listen and I know. Or I, I originally thought it was maybe not the best time to have a record release, but then now that it's come out, I was like, you know, there's maybe this is the sort of people need to have music and positive yeah. things amidst all the negativity. Yeah, yeah I think you know, so. You know. Um, so I yeah. want to thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> and, uh, thank you for having me.
That was Sikijor, I'm sure I pronounced it wrong as we were saying, <laughs> from Blue Has a Range, Steve's new album. And at the top of the set, we heard Language of Love from that album. And in between, we heard the song Sights from Steve's Panoramic album, which is on Fresh Sounds Records. And that is with uh, Steve on guitar, Tony Malaby on tenor saxophone. Larry Grenadier on bass, and uh, Kenny Woolison on drums that came out in 2003. And um, we also heard Once Around the Park, Paul Modian's composition from Melody in a Dream, and that came out in 2013 on Sunnyside. And it's with Steve and Thomas Morgan on bass, Joey Barron on drums, and... Uh, Shane Ensley is on trumpet on that tune. And we heard Paul Modian's tune Asia from Steve Cardenas's album Charlie and Paul. And that's a 2017 Newaville 
album release, and it's with Lawrence Stillman, Thomas Morgan, and Matt Wilson on drums. And watch for that to be available digitally or as a CD pretty soon. Um, So, yeah, I hope everyone's doing okay and stay well. Enjoy the summer.